Well, we're turning in the Word of God to Psalm 143 uh, again this evening. Uh, We looked two weeks ago in the morning service at the first six verses, the psalm naturally dividing itself in two, marked by the word Selah at the end of verse six, generally understood to be a musical pause, a time for reflection upon what had been sung up to that point. And so we pick it up at verse 7 this evening. Uh, Let me, uh, though we'll be looking at verses 7 to 12, read verses 7 and 8. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Now, when I was with you last time, we saw uh, something uh, about the details uh, of the circumstances of this psalm. Uh, We can't be dogmatic about this, but it seems likely that it was written by David when he was being pursued by Absalom. Uh, He's certainly being pursued by somebody, so it could have been Saul earlier in his life, but the notes of melancholy in this psalm, as well as the clear sense of sin that David has on his conscience, uh, particularly uh, noted in verse 2, enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Uh, These things point to that period later in life where David was being pursued by Absalom and all the while this was happening uh, he knew that this was the consequence of his sin against Uriah the Hittite and his wife Bathsheba. Whatever the the specific circumstances were, David was in deep trouble. He was in dire straits uh, and that much is abundantly clear from the contents of this psalm. And so, as a gracious soul, as one who knew the Lord, David turned to the Lord at his time of trouble. And Spurgeon, uh, commenting on this in his unique and pithy way, says, That which makes us flee to our God may be an ill wind, but it blows us good. There is no cowardice in such flight, but much holy courage. It might be thought of in the world as a weakness to have to turn to God in prayer at our time of need. But as Spurgeon helpfully reminds us there, there is real courage. Uh, There is great holy courage in turning to the Lord at such times. And we are therefore to welcome those ill winds because they do indeed blow us good. They blow us into the arms of our Saviour. When the Christian, as he will from time to time he or she find themselves, like David, in the depths of despair, Uh, we will be driven to prayer uh, if we are the Lord's. And at such times it can be difficult to frame words, to put together even a sentence, because we are, as my uh, professor at seminary, Joel Beakey, it seemed to be his favourite word, 
and we, we get discombobulated. We are confused and perplexed and all at sea. We don't know which way we ought to be going. We don't even understand ourselves or our circumstances. Much less can we fathom how to uh, relate them. And we are thankful then that we have our internal mediator, uh, the Holy Spirit who makes those groanings uh, which cannot be uttered. And even in our groanings, we know the Lord will hear us. However, prayers like this can therefore be instructive to us uh, because they can help articulate what we are feeling and yet cannot express ourselves. And they also teach us uh, in the way we ought to pray when we find ourselves experiencing things like David. Well, we saw last time, uh, the first six verses, initially how David... Uh, made appeal to the Lord and the basis for it. He, he bases appeal entirely upon the Lord's faithfulness and his righteousness. Uh, that is the Lord always doing that which is right. He goes on then to lament his circumstances, to describe the sad, with sadness what he's passing through at that time. And we saw how we we're able to bring our circumstances to the Lord and describe them in all their sad detail knowing that he is always ready to hear us, uh, that we have a compassionate and an empathetic saviour uh, who will not turn us away, who will not chide us, uh, as some people might tell us just to get on with and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and so on. No, he is compassionate and tender. He's a merciful high priest. And we saw last time, uh, finally, in verses 5 and 6, at the resolves that David makes. First of all, he resolves remember the God of history, what God has done in his own life and done in the life of his people and he will draw encouragement from that uh, and indeed to go on uh, praying in this second half and he will trust the God of the present. I stretch forth my hands, he says unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Well as true prayer uh, always begins with uh, God himself, we must always start with the Lord, uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that's the pattern. Uh, we must go on also to confession of sin, forgive us our sins uh, this day. Uh, but David then turns in verses 7 to 12 to actual requests. He prays specifically that Lord, the Lord would grant him things. And, and again, I'm reminded of Spurgeon. Uh, I did look to try and find the story uh, in the brief time I had back at the cottage, but I couldn't find it, so this is from memory. Uh, but he records how he was in a prayer meeting once, and one brother got up to pray, and he'd been praying 20 minutes, it is said, and he hadn't asked the Lord for anything. He hadn't made a request. He'd been talking about how great the Lord was and uh, thanking him for all these things. And Spurgeon just couldn't help himself and just blurted out in the prayer meeting, Brother, ask him for something. Uh, we are to pray. Uh, and when we pray, we are to ask the Lord for things uh, because we are needy people and he is a bountiful God. So uh, verses 7 to 12 really contain David's petitions. And so we'll take as our theme, petitioning God in our despair. And again, this divides itself up into three uh, areas. Uh, first of all, we see David petitioning the Lord for divine favour, uh, or for, you might say, for the Lord's gracious presence. Uh, secondly, for guidance, and thirdly, for deliverance. 
for divine favour, for guidance and for deliverance. The general theme that links David's first three requests, because there are in these six verses there are actually nine requests, if you go through and count them, and they gather themselves up into three groups of three. The general theme that links these first three is the favour of God, that, his, that God would be kind uh, and show goodness to David. Uh, that is where he starts, that is what he feels need of most of all. Uh, other things are good and necessary, uh, but nothing is more important for us than knowing that the Lord is with us, uh, knowing that he's extending his favour to us. Uh, and not only to uh, know that in a, a head sense, a mental sense, to believe what is written in the scriptures, but to, to know it, uh, to have the witness of God's spirit with our spirit uh, that he is with us. Uh, because, as Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If we have the comfort that God is for us, then we can face anything. And as Moses prayed, uh, after the golden calf episode, uh, and the Lord said he was going to send his angel before them uh, to drive out the Hivites and the Jebusites and so on, to bring them into the land that flows with milk and honey, and Moses stopped, you remember, and he said, Lord, well, an angel, in effect, you said an angel. Well, that's nice, but that's not enough. If your presence does not go with us, don't take us up. If you're not going to go with us, we don't want to go because your presence is more important than anything else. And that is what concerned David here. Uh, he, he says, hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me. Uh, this is what he was that most concerned about. He could endure afflictions, persecutions, even mortal threats, if need be. But he needed to know that God was with him. God was for him. Psalm 118 and verse 6 uh, reads thus, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? If you can say the Lord is on my side and have a sense of that, then that grants tremendous courage and strength. And he is urgent for this because he says, my spirit faileth. Uh, David had reached the end of his strength, the end of his resources. His soul was empty. He felt spent, washed up, uh, ready to quit uh, and to finish. And so... He's urgent that the Lord would be kind and show him his favour because he's at his wit's end. Doesn't that often happen with us, that the Lord has to bring us to the end of our own strength, our own resources, uh, to teach us our need of him. Uh, he, he strips us away from everything else that we are trusting in so that we might only trust in him. And he, of course, is the only one that can really help us and really satisfy us. We're always beggars. Uh, we're always like Mephibosheth. Uh, we need that daily portion at the king's table, but we don't always realise it and sense it as sharply as we should. And so that is why God sends afflictions to his people, to drive them, as Spurgeon said, uh, to blow them uh, to God in prayer. And David, having put that general point there, 
wanting the Lord and his presence, he puts it negatively and positively. He says, hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Uh, he doesn't want the Lord to hide his face. Uh, that is, for the Lord to forget him, or worse still, to turn away from him in displeasure. Just as we might turn away from someone uh, in disgust at what they have done or said, and we refuse to talk to them anymore, that is what David feared. Uh, the Lord will do to him. And again, it would seem his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba is coming back and haunting him. Uh, David fears that. Uh, you might say, well, David, you're a, you're a godly man. This is the man after God's own heart. Why would you fear that? You know the Lord is for you. Well, yes, but... Uh, we live in this flesh and our minds are not always rational. They don't always think uh, the way they should. We don't always think in terms of the gospel. Uh, we don't always uh, think in the, the way that God would have us to think. And so David fears that the Lord would take his uh, favour, his face away from him, and he earnestly pleads with the Lord not to abandon him. Because if he were to do so, David knows he is finished. But then positively he asks the Lord to cause him to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. Or as you would have it, perhaps your steadfast love. That wonderful Hebrew word, chesed, which has those two ideas of God's uh, loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, and yet his steadfastness, his faithfulness on the other hand. And David wants to... Uh, uh, hear that, that is to sense it and to experience it, cause me to hear it, he says, Lord, uh, grant that I may know it, uh, know it in the inmost depths of my soul, that it may be received into my soul and may know it truly, and cause me to hear it in the morning. This would suggest that David is praying at night and that uh, he, he fears what will happen during the night and wants that the Lord will meet him shortly uh, in the morning with his loving kindness. So David, that is what he is desperate for above all else. This is what he asked for in the first place is, Lord, I want to know that you are with me, that you are for me. And Lord, give me a sense of that, please, a renewed sense of your love and of your mercy. Do we, like David... Count that the greatest privilege? Is that our chiefest joy to know that the Lord is with us, to know his loving kindness? Uh, the hymn writer put it this way uh, Jesus, engrave it on my heart that thou, the one thing needful art, I could from all things parted be, but never, never, Lord, from thee. Needful thy presence, dearest Lord, true peace and comfort to afford. Needful thy promise to impart fresh life and vigour to my heart. Could we say that, Lord, I'd be willing to part with absolutely everything. My nearest and dearest, those that I love. Not that we are called necessarily to part with these things or those people. But if we could have one thing in this life and one thing only. Would it, be, would it be Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour? Well, that is what David cries out for at the moment. 
Now that is what he desires above all else, and that is where often afflictions will bring us, to show us what is truly valuable, to show us the blessing of our God and his loving kindness. Well, David's keenest need was for the Lord himself, his presence and his favour. But flowing out of that, there were other, you might say, more practical concerns that David had. And he puts in uh, what I would call a submissive request for guidance or for direction. And it, I call it submissive uh, because the reasons David attaches for his request show that he has been brought so very low now that he will accept whatever the law shows him and whatever the law directs him to do. He trusts in the Lord. Uh, for in thee do I trust, verse 8. That is, he places total confidence in his God. Now, he's not giving that as a, a, a reason, uh, the reason of his own spirituality. Lord, hear me, because I, I am exercising faith. Uh, he's not pointing to himself, but he's showing himself, Lord, I'm empty. I have nothing in myself, and I'm dependent wholly upon you. I'm looking only to you, and therefore, Lord, hear me and help me. Uh, again, in verse 10, he says, Thou art my God. He reminds the Lord, he enters, he's in covenant relationship with God. Lord, I am your servant. You are my God. Hear me, therefore. Hear me because of your grace that has brought me into this covenant. Uh, so the whole atmosphere, really, of David's request for guidance is humility and submissiveness. And there are three things he requests the Lord for. It is like a three-stage uh, request that he makes for guidance. First of all, he wants to know the way wherein he should walk. Uh, in the immediate context, of course, he's being chased down and hunted down by enemies, and so he wants to know which path, literally which path to take, so that he'll be safe and he won't come into harm's way. Uh, but, of course, the uh, way of the Lord is a, uh, an, a, an expression which is open to uh, uh, a wider interpretation than just merely the immediate context of David's life there. Uh, Psalm 25, for example, tells us, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Uh, good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Uh, and, and so on. Uh, the, the way of the Lord is something all of us need to know. And so David uh, makes this request for guidance. We may not have the same mortal threats on our lives that David had, but we live in a world that is a dangerous place and we need guidance, do we not? We need to know the way that the Lord would have us to walk in. But David knows that it's not enough simply to know the way. He, know, he needs more than that. He needs the Lord to enable him to go in that way. He needs the power to obey. Teach me, he says, to do thy will. Teach me to actually do it, Lord. Uh, yes, you can show it to me, but enable me to go and to follow and to obey. Any teach, teacher knows this principle. You can teach the students till you're blue in the face. Tell them this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. But to actually get them to do it, 
while that could be an altogether different matter. Uh, and David is aware of his own weakness, uh, that he could know the will of God, and yet, because of the weakness of his flesh, not follow it. John Calvin says it is peculiarly difficult to submit to God without resorting to unwarrantable methods of relief. Uh, that is, when we are passing through times of affliction and difficulty, uh, it can be difficult to really submit to the Lord's way with us rather than try and find other ways of relief. Because the body, the flesh, just cries out for relief. When life is hard, even the Christian can find it difficult to do the right thing. It can be easier just to indulge the lusts of the flesh, just to obey the impulses of our body to get some kind of comfort, to get away from the affliction that we're passing through. We might indulge the flesh through just eating and eating and eating or drinking, watching endless television or web browsing or giving free rein to our lusts and bodily appetites in some other way, or just getting away from it all and ignoring it, not facing up to the pain of our circumstances. Uh, that is what John Calvin means by it being difficult to submit to God in our circumstances. The body cries out for relief. And the weakness of our old nature says just to give in. And that is the struggle that Paul had, didn't he, in Romans 7 and 19. He says, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. And if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I do it, but, but sin that dwelleth in me. Uh, he finds this uh, war, this in, inward tussle going on. Uh, he, he knows what he ought to do, and yet he finds his body wanting to do something else. And so he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Thankfully, he doesn't end there. I thank my God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, he will deliver me from the body of this death. And hence, we need God not only to show us how to live, but to enable us to live that way to do that which is pleasing to him. But David's request goes to the third step. Uh, he cannot do it alone. Uh, he needs the Lord with him. He, he says, uh, thy spirit is good. Uh, lead me into the land of uprightness. And the word lead there is really the word for shepherd. That David knows he needs caring and directing, shepherding as a sheep does. And can't remember how the phrase the land of uprightness is translated in the ESV. It's translated elsewhere in the King James as a plain country. And it really refers to an area of land uh, south of Israel towards the Philistines, uh, which was known as the Shephelah. And it was a kind of a plateau land. And the picture is of a land that is uh, elevated but flat and so free from obstacles and uh, difficulties to progress and so what David is asking the Lord here for is a pathway as Matthew Henry puts it that is suited to a settled course of holy living uh, Lord lead me to the land of uprightness take me away from all of these 
barriers and hurdles and difficulties lead me to a flat land where I can make progress, where I don't have all these distractions and annoyances and enemies. That is surely what we long for, just to be able to plough on with living holy lives for the glory of God. Well, beyond such a path and a land in this life, there is one coming, uh, the supreme land of uprightness, where all obstacles to holiness are removed. All our sin, our fallen nature will die and stay in the ground. Satan and the world, all these things will be walled out. We'll never be able to get back in again. We'll be in the land of uprightness. Nothing between us and our God to enjoy him and his presence forever and ever. But how to get there? David says, Lord, lead me, lead me, shepherd me, take me by the hand and lead me to the land of uprightness. But thirdly and finally this evening, David makes uh, an appeal for deliverance. Uh, David's life, as we've seen, is under threat. Uh, people are wrongly opposing him and so he appeals to God for deliverance or for protection. But even as David appeals for protection of himself and for deliverance, his focus is theocentric, that is, it is very much Godward. Uh, notice uh, verse 9, uh, Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. Uh, I flee unto thee to hide me. Uh, for thy name's sake, verse 11, he prays, for thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercy, this is the Lord's mercy he appeals to, and destroy all them that afflict my soul, for I am your servant. He knows he cannot deliver himself. He is weak, he is powerless. And so he takes refuge in God. He appeals to him for help, for defence, and for refuge. He says there in verse 9, I flee unto thee to hide me, to cover me. Jesus, refuge of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly, while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Saviour, hide, while the, till the storm of life be past. He feels like he's in a storm, he needs refuge. And so he goes to the place of safety. Uh, he hides under the rock. He runs into the high tower, as the language of the Psalms puts it at times. Uh, it's been a delight being up in this part of the world to see the uh, sheep, and particularly the lambs, around in the fields. Down in Suffolk, we don't really have lambs. We have lots of wheat and barley and sugar beet and a few pigs. Uh, but we don't have lambs. And what do lambs do when you go walking across the field? And they see you, well, they get scared. And where do they run? They run right underneath their mother. Right underneath. That is the safe place for them. And so we, uh, and David, take refuge under the Lord. We read in Psalm 91 and verse 4, the picture of a mother hen and her chicks. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy Butler. And so David uh, pleads with the Lord 
to hide him and to keep him. He makes his appeal to God's righteousness to bring his soul out of trouble. David's uh, soul was in trouble because there was trouble in his soul. He was stirred up. It was like a raging tempest, a stormy sea in his soul. And so he asked the Lord for his righteousness sake to bring his soul out of trouble and trouble out of his soul. And then in verse 12, he pleads with the Lord of his mercy to cut off mine enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. Now, first reading, that seems rather strange, doesn't it? Uh, that you would think, well, David would appeal to God's righteousness or his holiness, uh, his justice, as a means, as a reason for destroying his enemies. Mercy. Why would David appeal to God's mercy for this? The two don't really seem to go together. They're incongruous as we consider that. Well, I think it can be understood this way, that by destroying those that would destroy David, God would then show fatherly mercy to David himself. And so you have mercy and judgment coming together, or goodness and severity, and the two are often found together. Uh, what happened with the Jewish people, uh, the old covenant people of God, uh, how they've been uh, removed from the vine, as Paul says in Romans 11, one day to be grafted back in again. And what does Paul say to that? He says, behold the goodness and severity of God. Severity to the Jewish people, but goodness to us, who are Gentiles. And supremely, of course, this whole idea is seen in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was goodness there. Goodness for us, that God dealt with his Son in our place. But severity for Christ. The severity of God's judgment falling upon him so that we might have God's goodness. And so it is of God's mercy to David and to his people generally that God will deal with his enemies. And I understand the way that this is translated in the ESV is entirely legitimate. It's, it's put uh, and stated as a declaration. And uh, of your mercy you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all them that afflict my soul. David rests with confidence in this, that God will surely do it. As we saw this morning, uh, the great confidence that we have as God's people that Christ is reigning and will reign, and that he will put all his enemies under his feet. Well, by the end of this uh, psalm and this prayer, David's faith has triumphed, and he is assured uh, that as God's servant, he will be spared. He sends up his petition in the midst of great difficulty for three principal things. He wants to know that God is with him and for him, to have a sense of God, the nearness of God's presence with him. He wants to know also of the way in which he should go and the help of the Lord to do that. And he needs safety from his enemies. Much later, after David's life, uh, around 1500, well, a thousand years later or so, uh, the disciples found themselves in much the same position. But Jesus said to them, 
in spite of their fears, in, in relation to their fears rather, that he was leaving them. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That is, I will show my presence to you. I will make myself known to you by my spirit. And they were confused about where they were going to go and how they were going to go. And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And they were there after Jesus had risen again from the dead, before he'd shown himself to them, they were there cowering for fear behind a locked door. They were worried what the Jews would do to them. And yet the Lord kept his people. He protected them. Yes, I know some of them, well, all of the apostles, save John, church history would tell us, suffered a martyr's death. But he kept them until their work was done and used them greatly for the building of his church in those early years. Well, what he said to his disciples is true to us too. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And surely there was a day came when David knew the answer to his prayer. The Lord came to him. He did hear him speedily. And he was caused to hear the loving kindness, the steadfast love of God in the morning. Well, may we, whatever stage, state, condition of life and spiritual experience we are passing through, uh, may the Lord enable us to be those who run to the place of prayer first. Take instruction from David's example. Uh, know David's God in the same way he knew him. And know the fulfilment of Jesus' words in our own lives. Well, may that be true for God's praise. Amen.